this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's the basis for the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on April 23, 2023. It's the second message in our series, Unstrung, about how we find truth in disorientation, how we can find clarity even in the midst of confusion. I'll read the text for us beginning at the 13th verse of the 24th chapter of Luke, according to the 2020 version of the translation, the New American Standard Bible. Beginning at verse 13, it says, And behold, on that day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 60 stadia from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they came to a stop, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What sort of things? And they said to him, Those about Jesus the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet mighty in word and deed, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us left us bewildered. When they were at the tombs early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said, but they did not see him. And then he said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them all the things written about himself in all the scriptures. As they approached the village where they were going, he gave the impression that he was going farther. And so they strongly urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? while he was explaining all the scriptures to us. And they got up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. There's so much to this rich story in Luke's gospel We want to begin with how this visitor, Jesus, joins the men on the road. It says that two of them were on a road from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. 
It's important to recognize that these two men on the road are not any of the disciples. They are not the 12 or the 11, since Judas is no longer with them. These are two other followers of Jesus who had been keeping company with the disciples. It says they were going to Emmaus, and the journey is about 60 stadia. A stadia is about 607 feet, so it's about three and a half miles from Jerusalem, maybe about seven miles round trip to the northwest. And they were returning after the Sabbath had ended. They were going home. This was actually Easter day. So uh, the women had been to the tomb in the morning, found it empty. Some of the disciples returned. And uh, then uh, later that afternoon, apparently, uh, these two disciples decided to leave Jerusalem and began walking down this road on that very same Easter day. Now, they were having a discussion about all that had happened, that Jesus's death, how they were There were these witnesses to the resurrection, and Jesus joins them, it says, but they don't recognize him. You know, similar to the way that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in John's gospel, and she doesn't recognize him, and in other times when they don't recognize Jesus is there. Why is that? Uh, There's varied explanations, uh, ranging from that they themselves were not in a condition to be able to see Jesus, so that they, they were blinded to his presence by their own kind of assumptions and and judgments. Others would say that they were deceived by Satan or maybe just uh, kind of held in suspense by God. Regardless of how it is they don't see Jesus, they simply don't. So Jesus then asks them a question of curiosity. He says, what are you talking about? And then they stopped, looking sad. And, and Jesus says, why are you sad? And we're, we'll soon see uh, what's going on in the story about why they're so sad. But The key passageway for us right now is that Jesus joins us even when we are unaware of it. This is a reality we must always make a choice to live in. We acknowledge that we always stand in God's presence, never apart from it. So aside from what we might feel or think at any given moment, Jesus is always walking alongside us. Well, these two men on the road begin now to explain to Jesus their sad story. And there's a a rich irony in Luke's storytelling in this story. It's on full display. These two disciples, who are not part of the 11 disciples, but other followers of Jesus, believe that they're informing their visitor, and they begin with a rhetorical question. And it's a little snarky. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who does not know about any of these things? The way at times in which um, we might notice as human beings we respond to others betrays our own lack of insight and discernment. And, and so they, they begin to recount their disappointment. They, they begin to describe that there was this man named Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth, that the chief priests and the rulers of the people put him to death, that, that they had hoped he would redeem, redeem Israel, but now it's been three days, nothing, no change. And this is the crux of their disappointment, that Jesus did not deliver on their expectations. And then they go on to talk about how the the women left us bewildered with these accounts of him not being in the tomb anymore, that Jesus's body is gone, visions of angels, of being alive, and some went and saw the empty tomb, and uh, there were those who saw the tomb but did not believe despite being told by Jesus what would happen. There's an irony that they believe them 
They believe themselves to know what happened, but neither of them actually did. That opens up another key passageway for us, that holding uncertainty means confusion and contradiction for a time. These two disciples, in many ways, are a mirror for us all. They cannot hold this confusion well. They can't understand how Jesus was crucified and placed in a grave, and then the woman went. They couldn't find his body. They had hoped he would redeem Israel, but he hadn't. They have all these contradictions in their head that they can't hold. And so the way they've responded to this is simply not by holding it anymore. They drop it. It's said that they're headed out of the city to a village called Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They've, they've literally dropped it and left it behind. So we learn here when we're filled with faith, we can hold uncertainty and confusion, even contradiction, because we know that God is with us and that God knows the resolution to all those things vastly better than we might ever be able to know them. We now turn in the story where Jesus begins to open their minds, and they, they still don't realize it's the resurrected Jesus walking with them. But in verses 25 to 27, it says that the stranger, who's Jesus, begins with, you foolish men. And he talks about how the, the prophets spoke of this. In other words, there's a rhetorical question hiding out there, like, don't you read? And Luke's uh, language here is so clever because the two men say to Jesus, are you the only one who hasn't heard about Jesus or about what's gone on in Jerusalem? And Jesus' response to them is, you foolish men, slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Jesus is almost saying, have you not read? Christ, the Messiah, has to suffer these things before coming into glory. And then he expounded on the scriptures from Moses forward to kind of explain this truth. And a key passageway here for us is rich, that faith is grounded in knowing our story. You know, the situation and the circumstance of life at time may make this a challenge. It's easy to become detached from our story of knowing the Lord and God's power and grace at work in our lives. Hence the need to continually tell the story, not only to tell our own story, but to tell others stories about how they've encountered God because it's a place to encourage us. Knowing our story, knowing our place in it, that bigger story gives us some mooring, gives us an anchor, if you will. These disciples had forgotten the story of their own faith and allowed the situation they're in to dictate the kind of faith they needed to have, which was practically nothing. Jesus invites them into something deeper. Not only do they go from having their minds open in verses 25 to 27, but they have their hearts opened in verses 28 to 32. They finally arrive in Emmaus, and they invited their guests to stay with them. And so they extend hospitality. This is a key. They extend hospitality to the stranger, invite him to come and to stay with them and eat with them. They urged him for a whole variety of reasons, but their urging is indicative that more than just their minds were opened at this point. Their hearts are beginning to long for this stranger's presence and company. In other words, they want him to stay with them. They're so intrigued and curious about all that he said to them. 
And what's unusual in this story is that normally that these two uh, followers of Jesus who invite the stranger to stay, they would be the hosts because they've invited the stranger to stay with them. But the way the story plays out, the stranger himself becomes the host. He sits down, he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. This is a, a tried and true formula that we've read again and again in the gospel according to Luke. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. At the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. This rhythm repeats itself. And so the these two followers of Jesus all of a sudden have their eyes opened as they see Jesus doing something that he's done before. His exposition on the scripture didn't open it up to them. It's the foundation of opening it, but it didn't open them up to the reality that Jesus was at that table with them. But his act of breaking bread did. Then they remembered. They said, we've seen this before. And then even after Jesus vanishes from their midst, they say to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? There's a key passageway here for us. That remembering Jesus brings hope into into the present. It's not just his teaching that begins to move them, these two disciples on the road. It's when he does something that they've seen before. Retelling the stories of Jesus remind us to look for him in the present. He is here. He is alive. He is active. So remembering in fellowship, in community, in the Eucharist, are all ways in which Jesus is still very present with us even today. And we realize that Jesus is present when we see him in action. The final segment of this story is in verses 33 to 35. It's really the epilogue to what's happened. The epilogue in this story is a convergence of all that's happened on that very first Easter. It says that Jesus vanished from their sight. And as he does so, they immediately go to Jerusalem to find the 11 disciples. That's how we know these two are not part of the 11, because they go find the 11, so they're differentiated from them. So this group, the 11 gathered together, we're talking about Jesus's appearance to Simon. And so now they related to their own experience in the breaking of the bread. So as we look at some of the other gospel accounts, like the gospel of John, also the gospel of Matthew, we can begin to put together a little bit of what happened on that first Easter day. Jesus appeared first to Mary at the tomb. Jesus then appears to Peter Jesus then appears on the road to Emmaus, and we know from John's gospel that Jesus appears to the disciples that night in Jerusalem, remember when Thomas was not present. Seeing Jesus, knowing him, and remembering him makes them, along with all the others there, witnesses. They have now become witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And now there is a story for them to tell. This is the key passageway for us, that Jesus's presence with us compels us to be witnesses. I would sometimes argue that even the reverse is true, that that when we are not witnesses of Jesus, 
that there is a very powerful way in which we have not experienced Jesus's presence with us. When Jesus is present, people become witnesses. The knowledge of Jesus, in other words, knowing about Jesus, only helps if it brings us into an encounter with Jesus. This encounter is life-changing. It coaxes something out of us. It's not just having information about Jesus. It's having this, this encounter, this experience with him, and it's that that be, helps us become witnesses, not just because we've learned some information about Jesus or what Jesus has done, but how we have met and encountered Jesus in life. The experience of Jesus is impossible to counterfeit. Having this encounter with him changes everything for us. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on News on the upper right-hand corner, and then on the drop-down menu, select Podcasts. And then from there, click on this week's episode. Please leave a comment so I can be in dialogue with you. I'd also invite you to visit our church's website at ffmc.org. That's firstfreemethodistchurch.org to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.